Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, unconscious bias, how to spot it, how to avoid it. Even though we tend to think of bias as a you know, social justice issue and for equity and fairness, which of course is really important, it's also a stupid way to make talent management decisions if you're hiring somebody without even knowing the criteria that, that are making you feel like you want to hire them. I'm joined by Howard Ross. He is the founder of Cook Ross and currently a partner in Udarta, a diversity and inclusion consulting company. He is one of the nation's leading diversity consultants and a nationally recognized expert on diversity, leadership, and organizational change. Working to change the status quo is something that occurs in many different parts of Washingtonians' lives. You just literally cannot work in a professional capacity in government, not-for-profit or for-profit, and not have to deal with these issues. So I wanted to talk with Howard today about some of the challenges of achieving change and how to accomplish it in a way that brings all of your stakeholders along and doesn't just become a top-down failure. Howard, first of all, thanks for joining us. Jonathan, it's good to be with you. Well, I'm really happy to have you. You've been uh, a regular voice in Washington for a long time on these issues. So tell us a bit about organizational change from your perspective. What are you getting at? Well, I think, Jonathan, one of the things that uh, we're getting a better understanding of now maybe than ever before because of neuro and cognitive science research and things like this is the impact of groups on people's behavior. And often when we're working in organizations, um, we pay more attention to individual behavior, but not enough of an understanding of how the impact of the culture of the organization and the group impacts people. Um, and so one of the things we're doing is trying to help people understand this dynamic, the, this, under, this dynamic of group behavior, and look at how can we shift an organization so that not just people as individuals change, but the organization begins to create a culture in which excellent performance is just expected. It's just what everybody sort of naturally participates in. I hear a lot of people talk about culture, but what exactly is a culture when you're talking about an organization? Well, culture occurs when any group of people come together for an extended period of time for some shared purpose. And so we can see that in organizations, we can see that in religions, we can see that in communities. Um, and, and what happens in culture is we create normative behaviors, uh, memes of behaving. And we know there's simple ones we know. For example, here in the United States, I reach out my hand to you and you know to reach out to shake hands to greet me. But when I was in villages in India and I shook, reached my hand out instinctively, didn't people didn't quite know what to do because there they greet each other with a namaste bow. So, mm -hmm. um, so these norms of our cultures uh, begin to create expectations for us and they're very hard to shake because a lot of it becomes unconscious, almost like an unconscious organization. It's, it's the difference between a written rule and unwritten rule. It's the difference yeah. between knowing what's expected of you because somebody tells you and knowing what's expected of you because... It's always been that way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that, that you can think about it in all areas of life. You know, mm -hmm. even something as simple as going home and sitting down for dinner, you know, how many of us have a seat at our dinner table? Mm -hmm. And it's, even though all the chairs are the same, this is our seat. And if, if we come in for some reason, for example, I came in one evening and my son had a friend over and his friend was sitting in my chair. I walked in the room and for a moment I didn't know where to sit. You know, and now it's kind of silly. Obviously there are all kinds of chairs, but it, but it really speaks to the habitual nature of human beings and, and why we fall into these patterns. So we fall into these patterns willingly or unwillingly, and I assume that it makes it really hard to change an organization. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like anything else. I mean, it's it's challenging for sure, um, but it's possible. And, and one of the ways that we found it's possible is by bringing all of these dynamics up to consciousness. You know, Carl Jung, the great Swiss psychologist, once said, that in, until we make the unconscious conscious, it will rule our lives and we will call it fate. Most times in my experience, when organizations try to change and fail, it's because they haven't recognized some of these patterns, haven't brought them up and figured out how to deal with some of these patterns and made a conscious effort to not only put in new behaviors, but also to communicate the expectation that people will follow those new behaviors. 
It's not surprising to me, therefore, learning about and reading about your expertise in the area of organizational development that you then went on and you've really looked at the issues of unrecognized and unspoken bias. Can you talk to me a little about why that's important and why an effective leader not only has to be thinking about culture, but also about bias to be successful? Yeah, I mean, look, I've, I've worked in diversity and inclusion for 30 years. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we found not that long ago, really, the last 15, 20 years, is how profound the impact of unconscious biases in our behavior. I mean, a lot of times we think that when people act in ways that are, for example, um, more difficult for women to, to be successful, more difficult for people of color or others to be successful, we think that it's intentional. But in fact, people very rarely wake up in the morning and wring their hands and say, how can I suppress women and people of color today? You know, that's, Most people don't. That's not right. usually yeah. the way it happens. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, if it happened that obviously, it might be easier to It'd deal be easier with. to address. But the way, it, the way, the more subtle way it happens is I'm interviewing somebody and one of them, you know, when I meet them, I kind of have this sense of something about this person I like. And so I make it a little bit easier for them in the interview, not intentionally, but just because I'm feeling more inclined to like them. Somebody else comes in and I'm distracted or I have a more of a negative first impression. The interview doesn't go as well. And the next day I say to somebody, gee, I want to hire the first person. It doesn't even occur to me that I've added anything to those interviews. And so one of the things we say to people in organizations all the time is, even though we tend to think of bias as a you know, social justice issue and for equity and fairness, which of course is really important, it's also a stupid way to make talent management decisions if you're hiring somebody without even knowing the criteria that, that are making you feel like you want to hire them. In my context as a professional investor over the years, one of the things that you see is a very strong bias in the part of uh, venture capitalists, male venture capitalists invest in their male companies, even though the, the statistics show clearly that women-led and minority-led startups actually outperform consistently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and in fact, the brilliant psychologist uh, Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize for studying exactly some of those dynamics in, in investment. And, and not, only, not only people, but also even making investments based on biases that, that refute the actual data that's right in front of people, and they make them anyway because they're inclined to feel like making them. Well, other than reading your books, if I'm a business executive, can you give me three best practices you'd recommend that I and anybody like me adopt to really be an effective change manager? Yeah, I think, I think the first thing would be to have a clear sense of where you are and where you're going. Um, it's like walking into the mall. You know, what's the first thing you do? You walk up to that map that says, you know, that shows you where everything is. And what's the first thing you look on in that map is that arrow that says you are here. Because unless you know where you are, there's no way for you to know how to get to where you're going. So we want to identify really clearly where we want to be, what kind of a culture do we want to be. And that should be clearly articulated in a way that everybody understands it. And then we go back and look at where we are now and say, how are we measuring up to where we want to be? And that gap between the two gives us the ability to do the second piece, which is then to put in the kinds of education, training, um, uh, systems and structures, those kinds of things that allow us to move from point A to point B. And then the third part is in order to see if we're being successful is to put in some kind of a measurement um, or metrics component that allows us to hold ourselves accountable to that change. So that we're not just guessing that we're there, we can actually measure it at each step of the way and see where the breakdowns are happening so that we can keep moving in the positive direction. Bottom line, before I let you go, it sounds to me like therefore creating the right culture is an intentional mm -hmm. act, it's not an accidental one. Yeah, I think this is so important for people to understand, Jonathan. Your culture is creating itself. The question is, are you going to do it consciously and intentionally, or are you going to do, be at the effect and, and be a victim of it? And, uh, and all too often, it's unfortunately the, uh, the latter and not the former. And so um, it's so important for us to be very conscious about the kind of cultures we're creating if we expect to have organizational excellence. Well, thanks very much for coming on. This was a real illuminating chat, Howard. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Howard Ross, partner at Udarta. Thank you to the Greater Washington Board of Trade 
The Greater Washington Board of Trade represents leading businesses, nonprofit organizations, and academic institutions and has helped shape the development of our region for over 130 years. Visit boardoftrade.org to learn how a Board of Trade membership can help your organization succeed in this rapidly changing marketplace. Thanks to Auric, an international law firm that focuses on technology, energy, and infrastructure finance. Clients worldwide call on it for forward-looking commercial advice on transactions, litigation, and compliance. Learn more at auric.com. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, online writer Barbara Ulrich, music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. See you next time.